If you happen to find yourself on modern dating apps, like Tinder and Plenty of Fish, you're probably going to run into the term ethically non-monogamous in someone's bio. When I first saw this, I was a little unsure about what it really meant. Obviously, you can assume that it means that there are more than two people involved in a relationship, but what does that mean? Well, this can actually mean many things. It could be used to describe swingers, a couple that swaps partners with other couples in one way or another. It could mean that they're in an open relationship, almost entirely committed to one person, but having the understanding that both partners allow their genitals to wander into other people's bedrooms, as long as they all come home in the end. Or it could mean that the person practices polyamory. And this is where we land today. Polyamory has been gaining some serious traction in recent times. More and more people are actively and openly practicing. Today we're going to talk about what polyamory is, how it compares to monogamy, and why it's not as scary or as crazy as you might think it is. Polyamory is not for everyone, and this is far from an attempt to convert you. But if you're a part of this big, wide, wild world, then you should probably know how some parts of it work. We're going to talk about the history, the myths, and the truths of something pretty commonly misunderstood. So let's do this, guys. Listen up. Today's topic is a bit of a doozy. Let's get naked, but with like a bunch of other people, and talk about polyamory. Hello, you lovely humans. Happy Friday! You are listening to Get Naked with Alex, a show that is entirely just two ladies attempting to educate the world on sexy things. And I'm your host, Alex. The other lady would be Kitty, though she generally doesn't show up in the actual show. She might be making appearances in the future, but she is almost the entire background of this show and the goddess of the Discord. And today, I have an important PSA for all of you. So when I start writing episodes, I like to Google the term sex news and see if I can update you all on some new shit. And all I found today was more abortion stuff, which we already covered, and something about one of the Kardashians having a sexy photo shoot. But in all the fluff, I found an article whose headline read, Dating apps blamed as a million new STD cases diagnosed. And I just had to dig a little deeper. So we all know what STDs and STIs are. There are over 30 different bacteria, viruses, and parasites that can be transmitted via sexual contact. There are eight, however, that are really what we talk about when we discuss STDs. Four of these are currently totally curable, these being syphilis, chlamydia, trichomoniasis, and gonorrhea. The other four are viruses and are therefore incurable. These are hepatitis B, the herpes simplex virus, or just herpes, HIV, and the human papillomavirus, or HPV. However, it seems that gonorrhea might be making a break for the incurable list. So quick science lesson, gonorrhea is a bacterial infection, if you've ever had any kind of bacterial infection, you're treated with something called antibiotics. Fun fact here, antibiotic actually means opposing life based on its Greek roots. So antibiotics are used to kill the bacteria in your body and therefore stop the infection. The thing about bacteria is that it can become resistant to antibiotics. There are quite a few strains of bacteria out in the world today that have already become resistant to everything we have and are deadly if you get them. And there is currently a bunch of antibiotic-resistant gonorrhea going around. For now, it's still treatable, mostly, but it takes pretty high doses of the only antibacterial that we have that works against gonorrhea. And high doses can be super toxic for your body. These antibacterials don't just kill off one type of bacteria, they kill off fucktons, both good and bad bacteria. And with dating apps making it so much easier to find hotties in your area, gonorrhea is spreading at a pretty intense rate. 
Between 2016 and 2017, the rate of reported cases rose by 18.6%. Guys, life finds a way. Gonorrhea wants to live, and as far as I've read, it gives nothing back to the world. We need to kill this thing before it becomes the new age HIV. As much as I want everyone to get naked and happy humping and all that, safety is so fucking important. Protect your bits, people. I know one night stands are cool and all, but use protection. Condoms are worth it when compared to a lifetime of struggling with this shit. And if it's not a one night stand, go get tested together. Make it a fucking date. Tell your partner that you want to be safe and also prove to them that they are safe because you care. Call your local Planned Parenthood and ask how much a test might cost you. In some situations, the test is actually done for free. It's worth it. Seriously. And that's really the news I have for today. Sorry if it turned into more of a health rant, but I felt like it was important to talk about. Today's topic is a little more entertaining than some pleading for the use of condoms and other protection, though there will be an STD episode in the future. Before we dive headfirst into polyamory, I, as usual, want to define what it is so that we're all on the same page. The word polyamory comes from the Greek and Latin roots, meaning many loves, so it's pretty much the opposite of monogamy, where there is only two people involved in a committed relationship to each other. This is not to be confused with polygamy. Polygamy is the practice or custom of having more than one husband or wife at the same time, so multiple marriages, and this really only applies to heterosexual relationships, and usually only one person has multiple partners. If one man has multiple wives, it's specifically called polygyny, and if one woman has multiple husbands, it's called polyandry. In the U.S., the act of being legally married to more than one person at a time is illegal, but there are some countries in Africa and Asia where it's legal to practice polygyny, but not polyandry. Polyamory doesn't require marriage, though, and it applies to anyone, of any gender, and any sexual preference. It can also be way more complicated than you might assume. There are multiple types of dynamics that could fall under the category of polyamory. The most obvious dynamic would be that one person can have as many relationships as they want, and their partners have many of their own relationships, all with equal importance to the people involved. But there are other types of situations that could fall under the polyamory umbrella. There's a polyamorous hierarchy, where there's a main coupling, two people who are important to each other above all else, but both of these people engage in secondary relationships. There is the polyaffective relationships. These consist of non-sexual intimacy. So you'd see this in a household where, let's say, a woman is in an equal relationship with two men, and the men live together and form emotional bonds with each other, similar to that of brothers or best friends. If you have a sort of bird's eye view of a polyamorous situation, the people as a whole would be called a polycule. Whatever the dynamic, everyone involved is a part of the polycule. Cheating, swinging, and being monogamish, monogamous but with the extra sexy affairs that partners are aware of and consenting in, these are not considered polyamorous in nature. I also learned about something called relationship anarchy. It's a big beautiful fuck you to the social constructs of what we think relationships should be. And it has two major themes, the first being the entire elimination of the major distinctions of differences in relationships, giving no extra importance to love and sex-based relationships versus platonic relationships. And there is no limit to a couple format, each relationship just goes on its own course and is only influenced by those involved. The second theme is to be with someone, but to remove any and all rules and expectations that would usually be placed on a relationship, all with the understanding that if you aren't fulfilled, or if you aren't happy, that it's better to just separate amicably than to continue the relationship that you aren't happy in. There can be some sort of relationship anarchy taking place in polyamorous relationships, but it really isn't considered to be a part of it as a whole. So polyamory can really take on many forms, but where the fuck did it come from? This is where science and history get to mingle a little. Pre-agricultural history is pretty hard to pin down when it comes to who was sleeping with who, and there's a lot of opinion that gets thrown around in here too. 
See, people have a hard time believing that monogamy isn't how we have always been and how we're supposed to be. In society now, it's a very important part of our cultures to pair off. You have one soulmate, one partner. The world was made for two. But that's not even bringing religion into the argument yet. In fact, historians think that monogamy actually came about in ancient Greek and Rome, well before Christianity was even a thing in those areas. One of the most common theories as to why monogamy became the legal standard of the times was actually war. Imagine being a young man, and you're searching for some ladies to spend your life with, and you find one, a blonde, and you marry her. Then you find another, a redhead, and you marry her. Then you find a beautiful blue-haired beauty, and you just have to marry her too. Next thing you know, you have a gorgeous collection of wives, each wanting some part of your attention, each wanting babies, sex, and all that jazz. Now you're trying to schedule out whose bed you'll be in for each night of the week, and you've got three babies you're helping raise, and two more on the way, and suddenly your leaders come to you and tell you that you need to go to war. Do you even have the fucking energy to get out of bed in the morning? I could not imagine trying to keep up with that lifestyle, but people have done it. And that's not to say it didn't come with, you know, some energy costs, but it's totally doable. There are problems with this theory, though. First being that the best way to populate your civilization with soldiers is by having a boatload of babies. So if you allow men to have multiple wives, that could help increase the pregnancy rates. There's also the fact that many cultures have practiced polygamy for hundreds of years, and these cultures have had no issues going to war. And if you look at the thing from a whole anthropological standpoint, any species that practices polyamory creates an environment where the best males will end up mating with the best females more often. Look at animals that have mating groups that consist of many females and one male. That male is usually strong as fuck and has to fight off other males for control of the female group. Those strong genes are super desirable for mates, especially in the animal kingdom, where there's always something that wants to eat you. So that allows for the species to remain strong and to continue existing, which is the whole point of life. So it seems to really start with the Greeks and Romans. And then when Christianity takes humanity by the balls, monogamy spreads like wildfire. However, Christianity's condemnation of polyamory has never been as straightforward as you might assume. There are no biblical passages specifically prohibiting plural marriages. In fact, leaders of breakaway Christian polygamous sects, like 16th century German Anabaptists, and 19th century American Mormons have always been eager to point out that several central Old Testament figures are polygamists. Abraham, for instance, had two wives simultaneously, and Solomon had 700 plus 300 concubines. By the way, fun fact, concubinage is what you call being in an interpersonal or sexual relationship with someone, but you aren't married or you cannot be married. I used to think concubines were just a bunch of wives, but nope, it's, it's a bit different. There are many reasons why a person might enter into a concubinage, some being that they can't marry due to different social statuses because of an existing marriage or religious differences. Well, I just thought this was an interesting tidbit. If you take a look outside of Western religions, you'll find that polygyny is very much allowed in some places. Muslims are legally and religiously allowed to have more than one wife, but only at a maximum of four at a time. Polyamory wasn't something you could identify yourself as until at least the 20th century, but that doesn't mean people weren't living that life. In fact, a lot of historians seem to think that women really sparked up a polyamorous movement in the Victorian era, with the rise of feminism. There are accounts of ladies shunning the whole system of marriage and choosing to have consistent relationships with multiple partners. It wasn't easy to find people who were open to this kind of lifestyle back then, though. They didn't have internet chat groups and Facebook pages and dating apps, but word would get around when polycules started to form, and sometimes whole groups were established and given names. In the 1840s, a place called Brook Farms was created as an experimental free love community that was meant to give all people in the community equal pay for whatever work they did and equal say in the things that happened in their lives, and this place was known to support polyamory. 
1848, a man named John Humphrey Noyes founded the Oneida community. This particular community was formed around the idea that every man was married to every woman, and every relationship was to be considered equal, including relationships with children. You were not allowed to favor your own biological child over any other child in the community. Then, in 1862, Francis Wright, a wealthy Scottish immigrant, established Neshoba, a free love farm community. Wright formed the community to bring together both free blacks and whites to work and make love, as she said. She opposed the racist trends at the time and declared sexual passion the best source of human happiness. So she's a badass. Rolling right along into the 1960s and 70s, this is where you start to see the LGBTQ communities start to openly question heteronormativity, and with that came open questioning of monogamy in Western cultures. With the repeal of strict abortion laws and greater access to birth control, sex was allowed to be looked at as more fun and less risky than just for the purpose of procreation. Polyamory evolved as a direct result of this sexual revolution, and intertwined with other alternative sexual movements, including the bisexual and free love movements. Sexual exploration was widely accepted and encouraged during this time. This was before HIV and AIDS really began to scare people away from being so sexually open, though. That kind of put a damper on things. As the polyamorous movement would grow, you'd start to see more swingers groups pop up, support groups and organizations geared towards helping the polyamorous community are formed, some still going strong to this day. There's a nonprofit organization called Loving More that was created by a woman named Ryam Nearing. Ryam had been living in a triad relationship with her two husbands in Oregon and had been working closely with people involved in one of the most famous polyamorous communities, Kirista which was formed in New York in 1956, but eventually grew and restructured and eventually found itself in Los Angeles in the 1970s. Though Nearing didn't want to join any particular community, she did want to help give those who were in the polyamorous life as many chances as they could have. Loving More published magazines discussing relationships, tips, and current events in the lifestyle, and this nonprofit still exists. They have yearly meetups in New York, their website gives information on what polyamory is, and the polyamorous lifestyle has really only grown since, but that doesn't mean that it's all hugs and fluffy puppies. There's still a lot of pushback from people who believe that monogamy is the way we are supposed to be, and that also believe that their beliefs need to be followed by everyone else on the planet. Just like sexual preference, though, people have their own relationship preferences. Some of the myths that people cling to involve considering polyamory as a failure of a relationship, seeing as you can't find fulfillment in just one single person. But take a moment and consider that no one really fully satisfies any one person. We all have friends that we go to when we want to talk about that new comic book that we just found, and you want to geek out about it, but you can't geek out with your husband because he prefers TV shows over graphic novels. Is that considered a failure of the relationship? Just because you don't share the same tastes and seek outside conversation, do you view this relationship as inadequate? Would you assume that that couple is unhappy? What if you're bisexual? Obviously, being bisexual doesn't mean that you can't be monogamous or you don't want to be monogamous. But what happens if you get really comfortable with it later in life, but you're already in a monogamous relationship with someone that you love? Let's say you're a man who never really got to stretch his bisexual legs before you settled down. Is it considered a failure in the relationship if you really want to have sex with a man, but your wife just doesn't have a hairy chest and a penis and balls? I don't think that's fair at all. Another common myth is that monogamy prevents jealousy. If you only focus your attention on one person, then you never have to worry about them wanting someone more. Except, as most of us adults can attest to, that is total bullshit. Cheating and lying are rampant in any type of relationship. Monogamy, polyamory, best friends lie to each other sometimes, family members lie all the damn time. Your mother told you that she had no favorite child, but you know for a fact that she loves your younger brother more than she loves you. You just fucking know it. I'm kidding. But seriously, it's total bullshit. Another myth is that monogamy is better for your sexual health. 
Multiple sexual partners has always been looked down on and viewed as dirty, but it's not the number of partners that necessarily makes the difference. It's about the sexual behavior. The reality is, when monogamous people wind up cheating, they're much less likely to use protection or disclose it immediately to their partner. Sexual health shouldn't be a moral issue. It's a health issue, and it affects everyone, monogamous, non-monogamous, and everyone in between. The research that was done in the 70s and 80s was correct in presenting concerns that people with multiple partners were more likely to contract a disease. However, current research indicates that people in polyamorous and other consensually non-monogamous relationships have a significantly lower rate of STI transmissions than, and are more likely to get tested for STIs than people that are in non-consensual non-monogamous relationships, so cheaters. Yet another myth that gets thrown around is that monogamy is inherently natural and ethical. This is arguably my and Kitty's favorite myth, because there's a pretty ridiculous amount of evidence supporting the opposite. There's a whole fucking book on how humans probably aren't supposed to be monogamous by nature, and it's called Sex at Dawn, and I know I've mentioned it before. It covers a lot of shit, including modern tribes that practice many different forms of polyamory, and how our primate relatives don't pair up, how our behavior doesn't line up with monogamy, with all the lying and cheating and divorcing and porn running around. That one just doesn't seem to cut it. Other common myths include polyamory being bad for raising children, and this is also total crap. If anything, it gives the child a bunch more support. The saying goes, it takes a village to raise a child. The same myths used to be said about same-sex couples raising kids, and those kids are turning out just fine. There really isn't evidence to support any of these things. Sure, this lifestyle may not be for you, it's not for me, but it really works for a very large percentage of the population. Who are we to tell people they can't live a life that works for them just because it doesn't work for us? Polyamory isn't all that scary. Everyone goes in fully consenting and fully in the know. There is extreme amounts of respect in polycules, and for the most part, everyone's needs are met. That's not to say that things always work out perfectly, just like any relationship. Shit happens, and sometimes things just don't work out. That's life. That being said, let's talk about someone who really made amazing choices in their lives, someone who dedicates so much time to educating and enlightening humanity. Today's sexuality superhero is the one and only Dr. Ruth. Dr. Ruth Westheimer, or just Dr. Ruth, is one of the most well-known sexual advocates on the planet. She was born in 1928 in Germany to Jewish parents, who would later be killed in the Holocaust. At the age of 17, she joined the Haganah, a Jewish paramilitary organization, where she was trained as a scout and a sniper, though she claims she never killed anyone. She was wounded pretty badly in battle, and it took her months to be able to walk again. This woman is an absolute badass, like holy fuck. So she begins to study and eventually teach psychology in France in the 1950s and migrates to the U.S. in 1956. Here in the U.S., she obtains a sociology degree and eventually lands a job with Planned Parenthood. Working with Planned Parenthood is really what sets her on a path to studying human sexuality. In 1980, Dr. Ruth is offered a job in the media after hosting a lecture about the importance of sexual education programming to help deal with the issues of contraception and unwanted pregnancies. The radio show was called Sexually Speaking. It took only three years for the show to become a, the top-rated show in the area, and people could not get enough of her. In 1984, her show was renamed The Dr. Ruth Show, and it began being broadcast nationwide, gaining her even more of a platform to teach with. It didn't take long for her to begin teaching on television programs. She had TV and radio shows in other countries, and Dr. Ruth became a household name by the 1990s. There is even a play that was written about her life called Becoming Dr. Ruth, she still occasionally gives talks, does interviews, and she's still a fierce advocate for constant sexual education, and the woman is 91 years old. She's fucking amazing. 
She really is the reason a lot of people began to talk more openly about sex and sexuality. She has always been a huge advocate for sexual health and safety, and the world might be a few steps back if it weren't for her. And she's got a pretty serious superhero origin story, too. Such a cool human being. Lucky us. We got to live in the time when Dr. Ruth was alive. So before I get to the question of the week, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who took time to rate the show on the Apple Podcast app. It really helps us reach more people and get the education where it needs to be. If you haven't already, please consider giving the show a five-star rating and leaving a comment about what you like the most or just telling me how much you love centaurs. Or let me know if you also have a kinky neighbor named Cindy. I know she's out there somewhere. Thank you to all of the amazing humans over at patreon.com slash getnaked, the deviants. I'll have you know we officially bought Kitty a microphone today, Friday. She should be getting it tomorrow, so maybe we can get her to do a little appearance next week? Maybe? If you want to join the deviants and have access to the perks, head over to patreon.com slash getnaked and sign yourself up. I don't mean to brag or anything, but I may have the best private Discord group in the history of Discord groups. The Deviants came up with their own themed day this week, actually. We've always had Tits Out Tuesday and Sunday Bunday, but user Bradley D had the bright idea for Wang Out Wednesday, and uh, here we are. I love this community so, so much. And if you haven't at least checked out the public Discord channels, you are really missing out. Everyone on there is so fucking kind and funny and welcoming, and some serious friendships are being made like every day. And I, of course, have to thank my partner in crime, Kitty. You are amazing. You rocked this week's research, and I'm so lucky to get to work with you. You're a badass. And guys, we are officially set up to meet at the end of this month. The shenanigans are going to be insane, and the world will never be the same. Okay, so last week I asked you all what you thought were the sexiest professions. I got a few ladies who said that they thought mechanics were sexy, or men who worked with their hands in general. Something I totally didn't even cover, but definitely should have, was the sexy French maids. Well, maids in general. I'm assuming it has something to do with being somewhat subservient, but I really should have looked into that one. The lovely Scott mentioned finding a woman in a dominant profession, particularly in mental health, to be extremely sexy, mainly because she could match strength or overpower him on an intellectual level, and he's always found intelligence sexy. Me too, Scott. Me too. We got a few answers for the military as well. Soldiers are just fucking hot. But this week... I want to know what sorts of topics you want this show to cover. We have a rather long list of topics already, but I'm curious what you guys want to hear about and see if there are any ideas we are missing. What do you want to know more about? What would you like to force Kitty to research for hours and hours? I'm pretty sure I'm already on a blacklist somewhere after doing all the research on child sex dolls. What kind of trouble can we get Kitty in? I'm kidding, but really, send us your suggestions. Either in the Discord channel, all of you know where that is, or you can email me at getnaked.alix at gmail.com. You can also find me on pretty much any social media. I'll have all the links in the show notes. So before we close out, I want to answer the two questions I always have at the end of these shows. What did we learn? Well, we learned that polyamory has been around for a very long time and is different than polygamy. We learned that there are many different forms that it can take, but that all of those forms are entirely with the consent of everyone involved. We learned that polyamory really is not as scary or as unhealthy as some people make it out to be, but that it still isn't for everyone. And we learned that there is a super strain of gonorrhea going around, so use protection, guys. Keep yourself safe. And how does this affect you? Well, maybe you went into this with some negative feelings about the whole idea of polyamory, and maybe we allowed you to see it in a more positive light. Maybe now you'll be more understanding and more accepting of polyamorous relationships in general. And maybe, if you have yet to find out what you want in life, maybe you're considering polyamory in one of its various forms, and maybe now you feel like that's perfectly okay. There is nothing wrong with you. Love is love has been used to describe same-sex relationships for a very long time now, 
But I think it applies here too. Many people have figured out how to love more than one person and have everyone walking away that much more fulfilled. What really matters is that everyone is on board, everyone is having fun, everyone is living their best lives, and no one is getting hurt. Polyamory can be a beautiful thing, but so can monogamy. And so can flying fucking solo. Who says you even need partners? We all need to learn to love ourselves a little bit too. Spread your love far and wide if you want, but save a little for yourself. You're fucking important too, don't forget that. And seriously people, use protection. That's a great form of self-love. So go forth into the world with a little more understanding under your belt and maybe a little more love to give. And have a beautiful weekend, guys. Happy humping. Just a little after-class vocab lesson. Today, I learned the word compersion, which means the feeling of glee and joy that someone gets when they see their loved one falling in love with someone else. And I also learned the word metamor, which is a partner's partner, so not your partner. But I still think polycule is my favorite because it's so cute. Polycule.